It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. People are leaving Baylor football. But then again, some are staying. Let's talk about it. This is Locked On Baylor. You are Locked On Baylor, your daily podcast on the Baylor Bears. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for joining another episode of Locked On Baylor, brought to you today by LinkedIn. I'm your host, Cam Stewart. Thank you so much for joining us once again and making this your first listen today and every day. The only place that is giving you five days a week, at least, of exclusively Baylor Athletics content that isn't coming straight from the university. So thank you once again for joining. We have still got football to talk about. Other teams are talking about the playoff. Baylor's talking about who's leaving, who's coming in. We had some great news last week with Jake Spavadol coming in through the door and Unfortunately, you had some bad news with it with Blake Shapin going out the door, at least for now. Although we've heard that Spavadol is talking to Blake and seeing, trying to gauge his interest in maybe coming back. But one of the blows today was actually, <clears throat> excuse me, the guy who we had, we as in me and locked on Baylor, had listed at number one of the top five guys who could hit the transfer portal this season. Uh, we learned yesterday that Drake Dabney is entering his name into the portal. Uh, the the tight end who does have a year of eligibility left was one of the lone bright spots for Baylor this year. Um, whenever they were able to get him the ball, he he made things happen. Um, he was one of their leading receivers this year. 33 receptions, 552 yards for five touchdowns, and about 17 yards a catch, which is pretty good. I, either way you cut it, pretty good for a tight end. And especially good for what you saw from Drake Dabney. I mean, he wasn't one of those tight ends that, I mean, this guy's a unicorn, but Gronk used to do it all the time, or Travis Kelsey, where you just throw a post and they can't be covered. They're a matchup nightmare, and it's 20 yards automatically. But there are there are more not as good tight ends who can do that. And what was impressive about Drake Dabney is he did it kind of all different ways and he became a much better run blocker this year too which is which is key but he's a guy who could do shallow crosses deep posts he was um, a guy that they were looking for on trick plays and deep balls all the time he he hurdled some guys this year he was truly a, a bright spot on this team and one that you would expect to flourish in the wide zone type of offense so I think that's one of the big reasons why he is hitting the transfer portal is um, I don't know as much, as much positive as Jake Spavadol's offense can, can do for Baylor's regular personnel that they have already for next year. Um, the guys who it doesn't help as much were maybe the most talented room uh, that Baylor had this year on the offensive side. And, and that is the tight ends. Not that tight ends can't be successful in this offense, but it's not as easy as it would have been under Jeff Grimes. And, this was something that I was speculating weeks ago before we even thought of Jake Spavadol coming in through the door. So um, 
the the main reason why it doesn't surprise me is I think Drake Dabney is going to be a guy you see playing on Sundays in a few years. I, I think he's got an NFL prototype. He he is already um, filling out what an NFL uniform would be for a tight end. I mean, the average NFL tight end is 6'4 and 254 to be exact. And he is 6'5 and 248. So um, he's, he's grown leaps and bounds the last two seasons with a, with a pretty major injury in between. He broke his leg femur, I think last year against tech in late October out for the rest of the season. Um, I was specu, you know, I was, Skeptical, I guess is the word skeptical that he would come back week one this year and be back to his former self. And he really was. I mean, he was healthy this whole year and and played with some reckless abandon. He wasn't held back at all. Um, he's a, he's only got one year as far as I know, uh, left, but he's still 21. So he's on the, on the younger side of that. Um, I always like to check what places were offering him out of high school when they when they enter the transfer portal even though it's it's four years later for him um, he was originally committed to Arizona uh, under a different regime that's not Jed Fish had had plenty of great offers out of Cyprus though um, Oklahoma State TCU Cal in fact he was actually offered by Texas State uh, being recruited in the spring of 2019 uh, by recently appointed Texas State head coach Jake Spavadol. So there was some interest there at some point, um, which is which is interesting that that uh, the week that Spavadol comes in, he enters into the transfer portal. But again, I don't I don't know that it has all to do with the OC in this case. Um, I just think he's looking for a place that is going to improve his NFL draft stock, um, where he's going to run more of a pro style offense. Even though the wide zone favored him quite a bit, um, there's there was only two teams in the Power Five last year that ran the wide zone. And now that's down to one until Jeff Grimes gets another job, but it was, it was Baylor and it was Iowa. That's it. Um, not the most prolific offenses in the country. I know, <laughs> but Iowa has produced some great tight ends over the years. Dallas Clark, George Kittle, to name a few. Um, but that's just not, it's, it's an old school style that can still work under the right circumstances. Like we saw in Baylor in 2021, um, but it's not something that's being ran all over the place. So I expect him to go more, look at more of a pro style kind of place that could develop tight ends and, and put them in the NFL, because I, I really do think he's going to be playing there. Um, but the last, you know, couple of coaching regimes that have come through at Baylor haven't produced a ton at the NFL level at that position. Uh, ben Sims would be the only one who has been getting some shine as a rookie for the Packers, but that rule couldn't do it for as much of the smash mouth football that he played. I, I defy you to, to, to remember a, a tight end under his regime. So I think he's going somewhere that is going to improve his draft stock. Um, at this point, I, I don't know where that place is. Um, we'll talk about it in the next segment, but he does have a coach from his staff going to Arkansas. Uh, I don't know where Jeff Grimes is going to go yet. Uh, he obviously took his name out of the, the UTEP head coaching search. I don't know that Drake Dabney was going to go there, um, but you look at the places in the last couple of years that have developed tight ends. Um, Michigan is one. Uh, they, they do have a stud tight end who got hurt in the middle of the season. Uh, I think he tore his ACL. Um, kid Evans. I can't remember Michael or Mitchell Evans. And he's a young kid. He, I think he's only a sophomore. Um, and the other one that came to mind right away was, was Notre Dame. Um, sorry, 
Notre Dame meant to be first. That was the kid with Evans. Notre Dame had Evans. Um, Michigan has a young kid, um, but they've developed some great tight ends over the last few years. Um, Jake Butt, unfortunately, didn't get much of an NFL career because of injuries, but an awesome NFL tight end and a good pro prospect. So I don't know. I, I could see him at a big-time program for a year, um, a, a, a program that's that's bigger than Baylor and is probably better set up for next year than Baylor is. Um but it's it's sad to see him go. I was I was definitely I mean obviously I had him at number one on the top five players who could transfer. I thought that we might see this, but then on senior day, you remember he didn't have a, a senior day ceremony, and typically that is when guys who are even thinking about the portal or or thinking about doing a grad transfer they go through the senior day ceremonies. A couple of these guys have done it two or three times. T.J. Franklin's definitely done it more than once. So. Uh, when when they are a senior and they don't go through that those festivities, you're like, okay, looks like this kid's going to stick around um, and use his other year of eligibility here. But unfortunately, not the case for Baylor and Drake Dabney. Uh, wish him the best of luck. I think he's I think he's going to shine somewhere, and I think he's going to you're going to be seeing him in the NFL. Uh, but the kid has has improved every year here at Baylor. Um, had an injury setback that. He came back probably even stronger from. Obviously, this was his best season. Um, he had over 100 yards in the game against Kansas State. Um, he was his, his receptions doubled this year after the bad injury. So he was definitely on track as a guy who, was kept, who had kept growing and has kept growing at Baylor. So expect him to be playing somewhere big next year and then in two years quite possibly playing for your favorite NFL team. But he wasn't the only one that was rumored or announced to have left the Baylor football program yesterday. Let's talk about the other one after this message. Well, it's interesting that LinkedIn Talent Solutions is sponsoring the show in this time of year because this is when college football needs it the most. When you're hiring for your small business or your college football team, you want to have as many top-tier candidates as possible to interview. That's why you go to LinkedIn Talent Solutions to help find the right professionals for your team faster than anyone else and for free, okay? You put the the purple hashtag hiring frame on, on your network and it, it becomes so easy for you through LinkedIn. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate to interview within 24 hours. They know that you're running your business. You're wearing a ton of different hats. You, you, you just need quality candidates in front of you, and you don't need to spend all day doing it. So thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. They even launched a feature that helps you write, that helps you write the job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So what you do is you post your job for free at linkedin.com slash slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions to apply. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. 
So Drake Dabney announces that he is leaving Baylor, and it seems like that is the case for offensive line coach Eric Mateos as well. Adam Rittenberg wrote yesterday that, according to his sources, Mateos will be joining Bobby Petrino and his staff in Fayetteville to lead the Hogs in the same position, the offensive line coach, under an offensive line guy, by the way, in Sam Pittman. And unfortunately for Mateos and for Arkansas, he is not coming off a stellar job at Baylor. Um, Two years ago, it looked like he and Jeff Grimes were the saviors and had built this great identity for Baylor with the grit and the RVO, and that turned from a hope into a myth very quickly. Um, And the offensive downfall over the last two years has not been as drastic as the defense, but it can be pretty much directly pointed to the offensive line. So I I talked about last week that I think Jeff Grimes got kind of a raw deal in in his firing when they announced an overhaul of the staff, and it was just him that was getting fired. Obviously, there have been some changes since then uh, with A.J. Stewart and Sean Bell moving positions and and now Eric Mateos out the door. Um, But that said, it, it just all came back to the offensive line. And while Jeff Grimes was one of the most sought-after offensive coordinators in in all of college football when Baylor got him, the same could have been said for the offensive line coach in terms of his position as for Eric Mateos. Uh, Mateos was a guy that came in with him and, again, established this identity, which was great for the players that they had. Okay, you know, this was... This was something that Matt Rule would have implemented. Absolutely. Eric Mateos would have been a Matt Rule guy 10 times out of 10 um, to to run a hard-nosed offense with a gritty hog-like to steal an NFL one there. uh, Offensive line. And it worked with the players that Matt Rule had brought in. But the theme became once Mateos and Grimes started getting more of their players in the door, the worse it got. And you saw it on the field this year, but the numbers are horrid, guys. They they are just terrible. Let me go through some of them (laughs) for funsies. So, So Mateos takes over, and so does Grimes in 2021. And let's look at the rushing leaders in terms of teams in the Big 12 for each of those three years. In 2021, Baylor was first. Top of the conference at 219 rushing yards a game. That was their bread and butter. Obviously, they had a great mobile quarterback too, but they had a dominant offensive line, um, and they had some good backs back there, hard runners like Abram Smith back there, Treston Ebner, a little bit of the lightning to Abram Smith's thunder, and Gary Bohannon could lower the shoulder and run over guys and juke past them. So they had some talented runners back there, but it started with the hog mollies, man. I mean, it absolutely did, and that was a big reason for their success, both lines. And they were that's why they were top in 2021. So remember, they retained most of the offensive line last year in 2022. I think I think maybe all of it. Um, and they had some injuries on there in 2022, but the production goes down again. They go from top of the conference in rushing yards per game to sixth at 182. So they lose 37 rushing yards a game in one year with largely the same offensive line. That's not a good look at all 
And obviously it leads to the drop in production for Baylor overall. They go from first in the conference in rushing yards to first in the conference in the overall standings as the champions in 2021 to then sixth in 2022 to being a six and six regular season team that was ranked number 10 in the nation in the preseason. And they replaced a lot of skill guys from 21 to 22. But you'll remember that the, the source of optimism was Baylor's game starts in the trenches and all the great teams win in the trenches and we're bringing everyone back. And I don't know if that was a blessing or a curse because it got worse. And then once those guys left and it was all Mateos and Grimes' guys, it fell off a cliff. Sixth, In 2022, in rushing yards per game and into 2023, they drop all the way to 13th. 13th. Thank the good Lord that BYU is even worse, or they would have been from first to dead last in the conference in rushing yards per game in two seasons, down to 114 yards a game on the ground. Dramatic drop. That is 68 yards per game on the ground drop in the last season from 22 to 23. And in two seasons, they dropped 105 yards per game. It kind of goes without saying, because you watch this year, you're not going to be anyone doing that. Nobody. And Spavadol is a spread it out, throw it kind of guy. But it would stun me if they were worse next year under Spavadol than they were under Grimes and, and Eric Mateos in in the last two seasons, really. I mean, again, he, he took Spavadol took Cal from last in the conference, which he's basically working with now, and rushing yards per game. He took Cal, they were last. They were 14th out of 14, all the way up to fourth this year. They improved by over 100 yards a game. That's a massive, massive adjustment. And Baylor's been going the other way in that department in the last two years. But you say, Cam, they got a pass block too. That's important. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit, shall we? You don't have the the the, the passing yardage numbers per game isn't as accurate towards an offensive line performance as rushing yards per game is. So I went with sacks instead. And this is with an experienced quarterback in Blake Shapin, who had this problem a little bit last year. I don't think people were complaining about how long he held the football this year. He admitted that that was a problem in 2022. That was no no such problem in 2023 of him holding the ball too long. He just didn't have enough time to throw. So how about this? Baylor, out of 14 teams in the Big 12 this year, for sacks allowed, they were 14th. If you're keeping score at home, that is dead freaking last. Bottom of the barrel in terms of sacks allowed in this conference. They gave up 34. And the team that came in 13th had only 27. Baylor was seven sacks allowed worse than anybody else in the conference. And for a frame of reference, 34 is what they had. The leaders, OU, gave up nine the whole season. Nine. Baylor gave up three and a half times that. That's disgusting, man. They can't blo- that shows me they can't block for the running game. They can't block for the passing game. So what can they block for? Just awful. And I went back. I got interested. I said, well, I wonder what that was like in 2021 and 2022 where the offensive line was better and it wasn't Mateos' guys. It was a lot of rules guys and some guys that they plucked from the transfer portal like Jacob Gall. 
But in 2021, they were third in the Big 12 in sacks allowed. Only 18 the whole season. And then in 2022, they gave up just 22, which is fifth. So you're noticing a pattern here, right? That since Mateos and Grimes came in and had an, a stellar first season, but since they started working in their own personnel, everything's gone down. Everything. Points per game, rushing yards per game, passing yards per game, and sacks allowed. And offensive efficiency, because it was terrible this year. 11th in the conference. Now, it doesn't help that the defensive efficiency was 14th out of 14. Make no mistake, the defense was worse off than the offense was this year. But it, it was just terrible. And, and their leading rusher, who was Dominic Richardson, by the way, who, again, got his token rushing touchdown, or a touchdown, I should say, I think it was a pass, of the season at TCU, which was game number 11. So he was the top rusher for Baylor on the year in 18th, 18th in the conference of players in terms of the leaders of rushing yards, 18th. So you're thinking, Cam, there's there's only 13 other teams in the conference, so some of these guys must be running circles around Baylor's running game. And you would be right, because six teams in the Big 12 had multiple rushers that had more rushing yards than Baylor's leader. Okay, six teams had more than one guy on their roster that had more rushing yards than Dominic Richardson, who was Baylor's leading rusher. In fact, West Virginia, who we saw in the last week of the season, they had three guys, three guys with more rushing yards than Baylor's leading rusher. The team that was four and eight last year, everyone wanted them to fire their coach too. They figured it out. Maybe that's a silver lining, or maybe that just shows how bad Baylor was this year. But anyway, I mean, he's got to rehab his career a little bit. It's it just, this is this is the kind of the disappointing part. I mean, because the, the defense was historic in 2021, and I don't think you'd be too shocked if I told you that it was going to be on a decline the next two years. You didn't think it would be this precipitous, for sure. It shouldn't be this steep a downfall, absolutely. But... With the offense, it looked like, well, that wasn't quite good. Uh, it wasn't great. It was good enough in 2021. But they have this identity that they're going to be able to recruit guys and and have a culture here of running the heck out of the football, RVO. We all bought in to the RVO and the grit and the guys in the trenches. And it just got worse and worse. Bottoming out this year. So I hope for Mateos' sake... Seems like a great guy and everything. I hope working under a guy like Sam Pittman, an offensive line guy, and a good offensive coach in Bobby Petrino um, as his OC, I, I hope that that works out. But shifting to defense, there is one of the leaders of Baylor's pretty bad defense, but he had a pretty good year, coming back to the Bears in 2024. But I also got to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite sponsors, not that I have any favorites, over at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. And look, this is a great time of year. We just had conference championship weekend in football. We've got bowl season coming up, which is just the 
best time to bet on college football games. we got some big-time college basketball games, not the least of which include Baylor. We've got NBA, NFL. It's all going on, and so it's the best time of year to join FanDuel. If that doesn't convince you, let me let me convince you a little bit more, okay? Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets for any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 bucks if your team wins. You're, you're doing okay if that happens. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, this is the time. This is the time to do it. And I love it because it's so easy to use. Okay, they, they've got options for uh, spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I mean, I was using it this weekend. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Big 12 and the Big 10 championship game both had 22-point spreads, which is crazy for a conference championship game. It's a worse look for the Big 12 because they send their two best teams there. Uh, the Big 10 does not. And anyway, I was betting the under um in the Big Ten game and the uh I was betting Michigan and the money. So worked out there. But now's the time to join. $150 in bonus bets with any winning five dollar bet. Use the code the you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to get that exclusive offer. FanDuel, official partner of the National Football League. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months, or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. So we focus on the guys who are leaving. Now let's do a little highlight for one of the guys that's staying. And it's one of my favorite players on the Baylor football team, uh, a Permian legend. Uh, if you remember Friday Night Lights, Odessa Permian High School, uh, Matt Jones, the linebacker, senior linebacker. He announced yesterday he is staying for his final year of eligibility. Um, honestly, I, I didn't think he would. Uh, it makes sense. It's not a bad thing. I just didn't think he would. Um, but in a defense that was bad this year, Matt Jones was a bright spot in terms of production. And there were times this year where he took over the game from the linebacker position. I think it was the Utah game. I'm thinking about in particular, I was watching up in the press box where he was just like flying out of a torpedo in that second half. And he was like an emotional leader for them. And, he has a heck of a season. I mean, he goes for 82 tackles, three sacks, 11 and a half tackles for loss, 11 and a half for a team that didn't rush the passer all that well at all, that didn't get in the backfield very much at all. That number jumped off the page for me. Matt Jones was in the backfield, and I just love the way his game has come along <clears throat> the last couple seasons. So in 2021, he came on strong in the second half of the season. And I was a little, I guess, skeptical is the right, the right word uh, of just being like, you know, maybe he's one of those guys who benefits from having a lot of attention on the other players, right? Like a, like a Siaki Ika um, or a Cole Maxwell or those guys up front who could, who could rush the passer as well as, you know, stuff the run. Um, obviously blitzers like Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie were no, were no guys to sneeze at either for an offensive line or a running back having to pick that up. So I was like, maybe Matt Jones is just the benefit of that. It reminded me of Jamal Palmer 
back in 2015, if you guys remember him, had a pretty good season in 2015. Um, but I think that was helped greatly by lining up next to Andrew Billings and Sean Oakman, two of the best defensive linemen, probably the two best defensive linemen ever to play for Baylor. Um, and so I'm like, you know, Matt Jones had a couple sacks in that Sugar Bowl game. Let's see if he can carry it over next year with a bunch of those guys leaving. And he had a good season in 2022 as well. And now in 2023, I'm thinking, well, now what? Because like I've been, you know, you know, Gabe Hall is getting attention, sure. And Garmin Randolph, who, who had a couple injuries this year, he'll get a bunch of attention. But Matt Jones is their best blitzing linebacker. Is he going to now finally get the attention and not be able to handle it, not be able to produce? And I, I was wrong. 11 and a half tackles for loss led the team in that category. So um, he, he was great at times this season. In fact, he had two games where he had three and a half tackles each tackles for loss, excuse me. And one of those was against UCF. He was a, one of the pivotal guys in that comeback, not just on the field in between the hashes, but also on the sideline that one of the best stories, maybe the best story out of the year was apparently Dave Aranda told this, um, that in the fourth quarter, Matt Jones was so exhausted, um, and was sick. And in that humidity, he just started barfing on the sideline. You can everything up, and then kind of wiped his mouth and said, we're going to win this football game. And they did. Came from obviously 28 down. So that's the that's the benefit of the Matt Jones. And I'm happy he's coming back. Now, of course, there is a, not a downside, but an underbelly to, to these stats and his importance because the defense was atrocious. Atrocious. I think one 120 overall in total defense out of 133 teams. That's horrific, man. And they couldn't stop the run. They, could, they couldn't really stop the pass either, but it looked better. And they didn't really force turnovers. And so it's so easy to point to, hey, he, he was the captain of the defense. He was the quarterback. He was the Mike linebacker. Quarterback of the defense. And this was what they put out there. And that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. But one of the things that this athletic department is really relying on and the coaching staff is relying on is the fact that they had a bunch of freshman sophomores out there. They played more freshmen, Baylor did on both sides of the ball, than any Big 12 school this year. They played over 4,500 snaps. And a good bit of that were, was on defense and in the defensive backfield. And I was, I, I am happy about what they've done to re-recruit those guys and obviously a whole batch more um, recommitted over the weekend too. And so I'm thinking that is the foundation of a big 12 championship team in the future. If these guys are as talented as some of them showed in spurts this season, if they are as talented as what the coaching staff tells us every week and, and has the athletic department has shown that vote of confidence by keeping the head coach mainly because they had all these young guys playing then, then that should be the foundation of something really good. And I think it is important to have a guy at such an important position with a lot of experience coming back in Matt Jones. He is going to be, I think, as pivotal to these young players' development on the field as some of the defensive coaches are for Baylor this year, and, and Dave Aranda and Matt Powledge and those guys. Because um, he will be a, co a coach on the field. I know it's cliche, but when you've got four or five next year sophomores and maybe some juniors playing behind you and you're the quarterback of the defense, 
I will never turn away having a fifth or sixth year senior as my middle linebacker in that situation. And again, thought he played brilliantly in flashes this year. And I think his leadership is going to be super important to the development of this team on the defensive side of the ball next year. And specifically the back half of next year, when there's going to be no experience excuse for these guys anymore. Um, in the defensive backfield. If you're midway through your second season, we hold the coach to a similar standard. We've got to hold the players to it too. So happy that Matt Jones is coming back. There are some that committed over the weekend, like I talked about, that are, are big names for Baylor that are coming back. But then there's also the question of, <clears throat> well, Cam, this was a three and nine team. They were dreadful. You wanted the head coach fired. So did we. Um, and it they had no all big 12 players. So why do you want so many of these guys coming back? And that's a good point. And I'm going to address that later this week. Uh, tomorrow, we'll have a little football, but a lot of basketball, too, to preview Seton Hall, one of the last games at the Farrell Center. And the last one before they get into the to the big primetime showpiece matches. And and Seton Hall is, is no push away either. But it's the first one, before, or the last one, I should say, before Michigan State, and then after that, playing Duke up at Madison Square Garden. So last game for like 10 days. Can't wait to break it down. We'll talk football and basketball this week. So let me know down in the comments. Are, are you happy that Matt Jones is staying? Where do you think Drake Dabney might land? What do you what do you think about Eric Mateos leaving? Who do you think should have been in the top four? I didn't have Texas in there, by the way, but I can't really argue against it. They're a good enough team. Uh, it shows the SEC bias. I didn't think I had it like some other people do, uh, but it turns out I do because when I saw the four yesterday morning, I my first thought wasn't FSU getting snubbed. It was Georgia getting snubbed. And I still kind of stick with that. Anyway, put your thoughts down in the comments. We'll be back tomorrow with a little bit of football, a little bit of basketball, and we will always be locked on Baylor. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.